This week on Missions Today. My wife and I had, have always had a heart for international missions, and we just always thought there would be something cross-cultural that would happen at some point in our lives. We thought it would be China. We're both, you know, Chinese American. We both speak Mandarin. But you know, in that moment, it was just Kenya had already been appearing on our hearts, actually, and in other places, in other conversations, it was actually quite odd, you know. And and you know, we first got the call, and we just said, "Are we crazy? Like, we have two young kids, and is this even wise?" For the family, and I feel like every time we had a question, God would give us an answer. When that happened, the whole picture became clear. It seems pretty clear that God was directing our guest this week to Kenya and ultimately beyond to other parts of Africa, and so began a mission and a calling that continues to this day. Hi, I'm Colin Lambert, and this is Missions Today from Resource Global. Tony Chen is a board member of Resource Global and a partner at Verdant Frontiers, a company growing large-scale, profitable businesses that create life-transforming jobs in Africa. And for Tony, it all seemed to really ignite as he sat down to a coffee with a local Kenyan entrepreneur, and then another, and another, and so on. Well, today's program is the story of 500 coffees and the impact of building quality relationships on a foundation of faith. Tony, so great to have you here on Missions today. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks, Colin. Good to be here. Let's start with your story. Tell us a little bit about your growing up years and about your faith journey. Yeah, so I grew up in a non-Christian home. I became a believer in college, actually through Campus Crusade, which I guess is now Crew. And uh, I've spent the last 25 years of my career essentially as a serial entrepreneur, you know, really just starting up five businesses. Most of them failed. A couple of them did pretty well. Yeah, actually, a big turning point in our lives is uh, 2013. My wife and I, we were having breakfast with her sister. Her sister told us a little bit about a friend who had spent a year in Kenya. And I just consider that as our God moment. I remember listening to the story. My heart's pounding out of my chest. I'm getting shivers down my spine. My wife can't sit straight in her chair. And later that night, we get to talking and we say, um, I think we're supposed to spend a season in Kenya. So it took us about six months to make that decision. We ended up uh, moving out there in 2015 and spent three years in, in rural Kenya, um, where my wife my wife is an OBGYN. So she, she was delivering babies and training doctors. Uh, my kids went to this school called Rift Valley Academy, just like a missionary kid's school. And I was what you would consider a trailing spouse. Uh, I was running a, a software business at the time stateside. And as soon as we decided to move to Kenya, the software business really took off. So I was running it from Kenya for a year. We hired a uh, what I would call as a real CEO to take my place. And then I was just in Kenya with a lot of time on my hands. And as a guy that just feels called to serve entrepreneurs, I just started having coffee with entrepreneurs. And uh, one coffee led to... 500 coffees with entrepreneurs in Kenya. And uh, along the way, I just wanted to start backing them and, and working with them and investing in them. So that's what kind of landed me into all this fun stuff. Wow. Well, I want to get to all of those uh, details. I'd love to hear a little more about the coffees as well, but I want to start back for a moment, a little further back. Let's talk for a moment about that conversion experience with Crew. You were raised in a non-Christian home. What was it about uh, Campus Crusade or about what they shared or about the message that you heard that impacted your life? What what made that change for you? Yeah, you know, I, I grew up in a great family in a sort of maybe a typical Asian-American family where 
you know, education and hard work and discipline were kind of the key values. And I think at some point I, I just started feeling like my life was a, a cup with a hole on the bottom. And the more I would try to fill it with accomplishment or being popular or working hard or education, it would just flow out the bottom. So I think hearing the gospel really for the first time in college, and then me and my non-Christian roommate sophomore year, we actually hosted a crew Bible study. So they would come over to our room and they would talk about the Bible with us. And then, uh, and then I just remember having over a bowl of clam chowder, a, a campus crusade worker, just taking me through the four spiritual laws and just realizing for me, this Jesus guy, he's either the real deal or he's not. And it's kind of crazy. And I just became convinced that he is the real deal. And it's, you know, no turning back since then. Yeah. Talk a little bit about those early days. You were you were involved in university, obviously getting into business shortly after that. Was your faith at the forefront of what you were doing? Was it kind of something on the side? Did it change over time? Yeah, I would say in college, because I was a new Christian, right? I was I was really fired up, really excited, really eager to learn everything I could about the faith. And I, I was just, it was the first time being in a quote unquote Christian fellowship. I, I, I'd never even heard the term fellowship before. So it was just a, a really, really exciting, really became a big part of me. I would say I'd, I'd grown as a Christian, I'd been involved in the church, I'd been you know, serving in the church as uh, leaders and being on the board and whatnot. And then in 2009, I was actually laid off from my last corporate job. And in those moments, I, I came to really realize um, that, that God was sort of nudging me. In fact, it was one of those things where my boss invited me into her office to, to, to lay me off. And I was actually really excited. Um, she probably thought I was a little bit weird to be excited to be laid off, but I, I knew it was God's nudging to say, look, Tony, your gifting is around entrepreneurship. So get out of this corporate setting and go, you know, go find your gifts and go do your thing in the world of entrepreneurship. And that's kind of where I've been uh, ever since. Well, let's talk for a minute about that time in 2013. You had this breakfast experience with this friend, Kenya. You've already talked a little bit about what you begin to experience. Uh, you Maybe God telling you in that was it was time for a move. But that's a big move to take the family and go to Kenya. Talk for a moment about that experience. I really see it as God knew that God knew and was already preparing us for this breakfast in a way. My wife and I had, have always had a heart for international missions, and we just always thought there would be something cross-cultural that would happen at some point in our lives. We thought it would be China. We're both you know, Chinese-American. We both speak Mandarin. But you know, in that moment, it was just Kenya had already been appearing on our hearts, actually, and in other places, in other conversations, it was actually quite odd. And so when that happened, it, it almost just like all the, the whole picture became clear you know, and, and, you know, we first got the call and we just said, are we crazy? Like we have two young kids and is this even wise, you know, for the family? And I feel like every time we had a question, God would give us an answer, you know, very shortly after. So for example, I ended up actually, I ended up, you know, having this question about the kids, is this the right age, you know, whatnot. And my wife and I were talking about that the previous evening. And then the next day I, I ended up on a retreat, you know, it's not a coincidence that three couples on that retreat had done these crazy, you know, worldwide tours across the world. And they basically all said the same thing. They said, your kids are the perfect age. They're out of diapers and they're not in high school. So actually they're just along the ride with mom and dad for an adventure. So, you know, it was just things like that. And there was so many things along the way that we felt confirmation, 
affirmation time and time again through the people that God would bring into our lives to help us get there. That's exciting. What what did you experience when you got there? Were there surprises? Were there challenges? How would you describe the transition to Kenya? So we went through a missions agency called African Inland Mission. And so they really helped us prepare for what was to come. And they we also plugged into existing teams on the ground and people we could rely on. So that really helped with the transition. But of course, in some ways, there's no real way to prepare for what you're about to get into. You know, I think my wife and I being Asian American, it's in some ways, I felt like we, we've we always lived a life where we've had to span across two cultures. So going into a third culture, maybe was a little bit more natural for us. We just, you know, had a natural curiosity to ask the extra question and just to hear and just be curious about the culture we were going into. But I really think that, you know, it was helpful to have team on the ground who could help us figure out things like, so where do you actually buy like a blender? <laughs> or, you know, how do you deal with this look tax thing? You know, just like the day-to-day living logistics. So having a community, almost like an instant community landing right there on the ground was made a world of difference. So that really softened the blow. I mean, I think that the, my kids, you know, the kids are just so resilient. They went into the, the school right away, not really knowing anybody. And I think on the third day, my, my son came back uh, speaking in a Scottish accent because now his best friend is from Scotland. You know, <laughs> so... It was just kind of like they're just going with the flow. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Talk for a moment about faith community on the ground. You mentioned that African Inland Mission helps you get settled. Is there a group there already? Is there a church, churches established that you were able to slip into? Yeah, African Inland Mission has been sending missionaries to Africa for about 120 years. And so so even the the missionary school that my kids went to was established by them in the 1950s. The the hospital in that little town that my wife volunteered at, uh, Kajabi Hospital, also was established by the mission many, many decades ago. And, and then just over the last few decades, been handed over to the local church. So yeah, so we essentially plugged right in to the existing church network there. And I'll be honest, church was hard for us. I mean, I think that, you know, you we could go to the local church where, you know, the services are three or four hours long and, you know, you got the hours, that one hour of announcements and, you know, I have young kids like crawling all over us and, so we would kind of uh, swing between kind of the the church at the school, you know, so it was essentially almost like youth camp church style. Um, and then sometimes we'd go into Nairobi and, and, and you know, visit my our friends' churches and just uh, be a part of their, those communities as well. Yeah, they're, they're great communities that, that we really love and are very dear to us. I want to hear more about these coffees. I love that it started, you know, kind of with one. It doesn't even sound maybe like it was an official plan, but it grew into something incredibly powerful over time. Talk for a moment about those coffees and how that grew and what kinds of things you learned through that. Yeah. So, I mean, I didn't know this at the time, but, you know, I, in 20, back in 2013, when I, we felt the call to Kenya, it just so happened that one of my friends was le- leading a short-term missions trip to Kenya. So I, I ended up going on this trip. And on that trip, I met essentially my very first Kenyan friend named Ken. And Ken has now become one of my closest friends in life. He's just a such a dear brother. So he was based in Nairobi. And so I started having coffee with him. And he's just said, you know, why don't you meet my friend 
you know, Josiah and these others. And so, you know, out of, if you, if I look at the kind of the tree of all the people I know, those 500 coffees, about 420 of them basically come from Ken, you know, Ken referred me to his friends who referred me to others. And that tree just expanded all the way down to the 500 coffees. And, you know, I'm just, I just love hearing entrepreneurs tell their story and talk about their journeys. I think it's such um, you really hear about people's passions, about what they're trying to work on. You hear about their very nuanced and deep understanding of particular problems in society that maybe they are not always what they seem. And then you just get to be part of their life journey. So, you know, there's definitely opportunities to kind of sharpen one another on both sides. So me learning a lot about Kenyan culture, about how things are done, about the problems that still need to be solved. And then getting into things about, you know, there, I always talk about these three hour coffee meetings I have with entrepreneurs where a lot of the good stuff happens in the last hour <laughs> where, you know, we start talking about, you know, marriages and fears and dreams and, and, you know, family and family wounds and all kinds of things that, you know, you can really, it's, it really is a privilege to, to speak into some of those lives and those people, but then also for them to speak into my life and kind of where I'm at as well. Do you see it kind of as a mentoring situation? Was that how, how it came off? Is that how you felt it, it turned out? Or were there times where people were older than you, where they were able to offer thoughts back to you? Yeah, I, I always think of, uh, I don't love the mentor term just because I feel like we have, we all have so much to learn from one another. So, you know, maybe I was a little bit more advanced in age sometimes where I could, you know, especially with my life stage, with my kids being a little bit older, I could speak into some things about life and kids and parenting and marriage and whatnot. But very often I would, I feel like I, I learned just as much from them, regardless of their age, uh, just because of how they were piecing together their faith and their life. So yeah, I got to meet all kinds of people. You know, I would say I've met people in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s. So, so all across the range, even teenagers, honestly. So, you know, all kinds of people, entrepreneurs. Uh, I met some ambassadors. I met some, you know, deputy ministers of this and that, and just different kinds of people that have had some really amazing experiences in their life that that I'm also learning from as well. What did you hope would come out of those coffees? And did you have specific things you were trying to accomplish? Was it uh, more an iron sharpens iron? Was there conversation about helping with those uh, endeavors that those entrepreneurs had? What was the range or the extent of those conversations? Like a lot of things in my life, I actually don't have a plan. <laughs> so. I don't know. That's probably not a good thing to admit in public, but you know, it's it's so often the the plan I have is not the plan God has. And I started those coffees honestly with just a curiosity to learn about the ecosystem. And I and I actually thought about I, what I want to do is just I want to write an article about the state of the tech ecosystem in Nairobi, and I want to hear about hear from people who are in that ecosystem and just learn. So that was really the impetus really for those first wave of introductions. But those people that were contacts became friends and, and then it, you know, kind of avalanched to these 500 coffees, which then, you know, part of the story too, is just that. So then my company stateside was doing really well. We're now getting dividend checks and the first bigger dividend check it's uh, my wife and I just said, this is the Lord's and this is for Africa. What, what should, how should we steward this? 
And really, we felt compelled to make investments into these companies. So I ended up making like 25 angel investments in some of those the companies. I was meeting entrepreneurs that I really believed in. I call them purpose-driven and profit-savvy. It's hard to find both and, you know, too often it's sort of, they're all about the profit and actually I'm okay with that, but they're not necessarily driven by trying to solve a problem or they're purpose-driven and they really care about the cause, but they don't know anything about profit or running a business. And I was finding these folks that I felt like were both and, and really wanted to get behind them. And so that's kind of how I got involved with um, investing in some of those companies, being on the boards of some of those companies. And then that leads a little bit into also the work I'm doing today with um, investing, you know, capital, both financial and, you know, our own human capital into these businesses in East Africa. Talk a little about that and and maybe the transition from the first to the to the to the second and what you're doing now and how it's helping actually and and probably has been for years now through this process creating jobs on the ground, sustainable jobs for people in Africa and what kind of, uh, in Kenya and other areas, what what kind of impact that's having? I first thought I wanted to kind of do this on my own and then just realized I really love working on a team. I really love being part of something bigger. So I ended up joining a friend's firm called Verdant Frontiers, who's been working in Africa for the last 10 years. And so the guy who started Verdant is actually a friend of mine. His name is Scott Friesen. Um, he's maybe similar to me in the sense that he's a tech entrepreneur, built and sold three businesses, you know, thought he was going to retire and then God messed with him. Um, he ended up in Ethiopia, uh, visiting some friends and in Ethiopia, he really saw the, the, the extreme poverty as well as the amazing, uh, opportunities in business and re- really felt called for the rest of his life. His mission is to create large-scale, highly profitable businesses across the continent that creates lots of jobs. So, I mean, Scott just started doing stuff as an entrepreneur does. Just let's figure this out. Let's figure the next thing out. And after a few years, U.S. government says, hey, Scott, you guys seem to know how to get things done around here. We have this huge diplomatic housing problem. So long story short, Scott built a team and they built the U.S. government an $80 million diplomatic high-rise in Addis Ababa in Ethiopia. Just finished that building last year. U.S. government says, good job in Ethiopia. Come help us in Kenya. <laughs> so about to cut the ribbon on that second building. And, and so we've spun out a real estate development firm that does just this real estate stuff. So you know now a lot of other G7 countries are calling saying, hey, what you built for the U.S. government in Addis, we kind of want the same thing. So uh, come help us there. So that it's really exciting and it's, you know, creating lots of really interesting construction jobs. You're really upskilling the workers to an international standard that makes them even more marketable and lots of skills. And I give Scott a lot of credit because I think that because he was trying to solve for job creation, that's the call. We're also in agriculture. You can't talk about a job creation in Africa without agriculture. So we have started a citrus farm in Southern Mozambique on our way to planting the first 50,000 trees, just acquired a farm in Zambia. And, and so we're really focused on these, these orchard crops. So citrus, macadamia, avocados, these are crops that we think based on all the factors, climate, soil, logistics, you know, labor, they're hard to mechanize. You need a lot of labor. We want to be one of the best biggest producers of those 
crops in Africa. So I'll give you an example in Mozambique, you know, in the area that we started the farm, there was really nothing there. The, the government had basically created some a great game reserved, kicked people off the land, and th they were just spread across the neighboring areas, and they have nothing to do. And in fact, the only one of the ways that you could make a living is to illegally poach rhinos. So, you know, we've got widows working on our farm whose husbands have been killed because they were they've they were taken down by the anti-poaching police. They are now working on our farms, planting citrus trees, scouting out our trees to make sure there's no insects in those communities where, you know, there's there's not much else there. Um, so the jobs created in that rural Mozambican community is just uh, it's partly why I get up every day to go to work. Yeah, that's exciting. It's incredible to see. And there's so many natural resources across the continent of Africa and for so many years, people were taking resources out or not allowing the people to get to it. I love the concept of utilizing those and getting the people in, engaged with it and profiting from it and able to keep the money there in Africa in many ways. Uh, what an incredible opportunity for so many people. Well, in the time we have left, we just got a couple of minutes. Uh, I know that you all are also part of Resource Global. Tell me a little bit about how you connected with Resource Global and how it's impacted you or you've seen it impact others. Most, uh, most people know Tommy Lee. That's how we got connected. But Resource Global you know, is really around discipling these marketplace leaders uh, all across the, the globe. And one of the reasons I got involved is that one of the early cities that Resource Global really wanted to focus in on was Nairobi. So really excited for the work of Resource Global and, and bringing up the next generation of marketplace leaders, um, thinking through faith in the workplace, in the business, as entrepreneurs, you know, in corporate settings, how do you live out your faith in those arenas and how does it affect how you run your business? So it's just been really exciting to see uh, Resource Global with that. And it's, and, and so it's just, uh, it's just been amazing to see that, you know, you can have an entrepreneur in Nairobi connect with a, another Resource Global entrepreneur in Jakarta. And it doesn't matter that they're in two different markets. They have so much to learn from each other. And iron does indeed sharpen iron in this case. So it's been great. Uh, finally, someone listening today who's in the business community, who is in the investment community, is engaged in helping entrepreneurs, uh, iron sharpening iron, as you've just described, uh, but maybe wants to be more engaged with their faith to, to make it more of that uh, mix of both profit and purpose just any thoughts for them to maybe start heading that direction? Yeah, I just think that uh, historically, for some reason in the church, there's been this like uh, secular spiritual divide in business, especially. And to begin to think that, that we serve a God of, of both and, you know, I love that verse about God saying you got to be as shrewd as a serpent and as innocent as a dove. And I, and I think that that's exactly what he's looking for in business people. Business is not dirty. What we do in business can be such a spiritual awakening. In fact, I think business will be one of the key tools that God uses in the next 50 years to advance the kingdom. So I would just say, press in on that and gather some believers uh, to do that with. Advancing the kingdom through business. Some call it business as mission, others missional entrepreneurship. But whatever you call it, it's about fully integrating your faith and your work. And the great thing about it is that if we are working, we can do it. 
You know, it's incredible to see what the Lord is doing in Tony's life and work, but never, never think that you have to be running your own company or have millions of dollars to do so. You can live out your faith right where you are right now. Most likely, that's what God has called you to for this time. That said, you may also be feeling a tug like Tony and his family did to go somewhere. Either way, I want to encourage you today to be obedient, be faithful to your calling. Before we wrap today, I want to let you know about a special learning opportunity coming your way beginning this Tuesday, June 21st. It's called Western Christians in Global Missions, and it's going to offer you some concrete advice for how Western Christians can be involved in missions without being paternalistic or creating dependency on the part of those you're working with. This four-class series will be led by the very first guest I ever had on this program, Dr. Paul Borthwick. He is a professional in this area. You'll love learning from him. Sign up now. And again, it's absolutely free. Sign up at thegrowcenter.com. That's thegrowcenter.com slash Western Missions. thegrowcenter.com slash Western Missions. The dates of the classes are June 21st and 28th, and then July 12th and 19th, all in the evening and all via Zoom. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. Next week, we're going to talk to a man who faced a family tragedy as a boy that impacted his life forever. Now, he's running an organization that helps with missions from recruiting to sending and beyond. It'd be so great if you would subscribe to our podcast. Love it if you would rate it leave a review on iTunes, share it with others. That is the best word of mouth, and I would so much appreciate it. If you have feedback from me, I'd love to hear your tale, your story, your comments. You can email me, clambertadmissionstoday.com. And follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Missions Today Radio. Missions Today is a production of Resource Global.